All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back here on a Friday night. I guess it feels like when you do this for 15 hours a week, it's like you never went away. I know it's been like 21 hours to all you guys, but it's only been like 21 hours to us, too. So thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show and like us on Facebook. And we're going to get to some of the feedback that you've sent us a little bit later on in the program because it is a Feedback Friday. It's also uh, the Day Group in hour number two. So Kim is here. we got a packed house in studio. We'll get to the weekly look at the week that was coming up a little bit later on. Mike Woody will take us to the movies later in this hour, as well as a sign of the apocalypse. But I, I want to take a step back here now that we're almost a full week into what we've seen from the Trump trans, uh, transition team. And again, this is relative to what my own personal expectations were, but uh, I got to, and, and let me put it in this context. I got a call today from a reporter at the New York Times who was following up with some never Trump people and just wanted to know, you know, how they planned on operating um, in a world of President Trump. And I just explained to him, I'm going to do what I always do. 
Same thing I'd done if he had lost. I'm going to call balls and strikes as best I can. When I think somebody is right, I'll say so. When I don't, I will say so. But, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm out of the Trump projection business, all right? I learned my lesson on November the 8th. One time, shame on you. Two times, shame on me. I'm not getting into that forecasting, projecting business. I'm going to sit back now, and I'm going to let the game play itself out, and we'll see what happens on the field. And the results will then will then just speak for themselves. And I also explained to him, uh, you know, along the line of the, along the lines of the conversation we had last night about you know, why you have to have a society less religious than ours to accept socialism. I'm much more interested in the big picture of winning over the next generation anyway. So that's that's going to be our focal point as it is. I'm, I'm not going to get into the daily minutia of this every single day for the next four years. It's tiring. It's exhausting. And you're and you're dealing with the with an administration that will throw stuff out there sometimes just to throw stuff out there, just to to trial balloon it, to gauge it. You're not going to last if you react to everything they throw out there at all times. You know, when there's definitive news, which we'll get to here in a minute, because there was definitive news earlier today, we will absolutely comment on that and analyze it. But I don't really think my life is that much different than if he had lost. I would have done the exact same thing with one exception. There would be a full scale civil war within the Republican Party going on right now. And because I live in Iowa, first in the nation caucus state, I'd find myself in the middle of it. So. That's really the only change for me is I'm I, there's less angst in my life right now uh, than there would be had he lost. Um, but I'll say this uh, along the lines of calling balls and strikes. I am not a bandwagon jumper by nature. Guys, I've, I've been a Detroit Lions fan since I was 10 years old in 1983. So I think I've proven that it's not my M.O. just because I'm a contrarian by nature. So, and I'm, and I'm not somebody that requires a lot of validation from other people by nature. And that doesn't mean I think I'm better than you if you do. We're just built differently. You know, that's just how I'm constructed. I, I like validation, but it's not something that I, I, I need a lot of. And I'm a contrarian, so I'm not a joiner by nature. So I'm not, I don't do bandwagons. And even if I wanted to get on board, I'm fairly certain there wouldn't be a seat for me on the Trump train anyway. But I will say this, again, just calling balls and strikes. I like a lot of what I am seeing. Now, that may be relative to my expectation level, which is why I keep throwing that disclaimer out. But if you look at the appointment today of Jeff Sessions for AG, I listen, I thought Ted Cruz would make an excellent attorney general. I think Jeff Sessions is a really good choice. We need somebody in there that, that, um, that reveres the rule of law and is a culture warrior. He's both of those things. I think he will do a dynamite job. And if President Cruz, see, this is, this is one of the things I think if you want to be a critical thinker, this is what I had to learn to do. If the situation was reversed, what would I be saying? Right? So, folks, if, if, if President Cruz, if, if, if we woke up today, I'll ask all of you this. If we woke up today and President Cruz said, my attorney general is going to be Jeff Sessions, our reaction would be what, Todd? I would say that's a great place to start with the cabinet. Kim, what would you say? I'd say integrity demands it. You would like Jeff Session. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I would say this would be a great pick. I mean, that's one of the better that you could make. So one of the things you're going to learn, if you, if you came to our show new in this cycle, I think you got to remember, I'm an actual conservative. 
So I, I may have found myself with some of the more moderate uh, elements of this movement, like the Kasich group and things of that nature, because we came to the same conclusion about the, the, that we thought Donald Trump didn't have the moral character for office. But, but I am not ideologically with them. I, I am an actual conservative. I'm a grassroots rabble rouser. Okay, so I, I, I just want to make sure, because I, I, I can see in some of the responses I'm getting from my audience— there is some confusion. There is this because we like to we like to associate people by who they are associating with at that time. The way I work, I was the kid in school in high school, man. I just I didn't join clicks. I didn't care. If if I thought you were right, I'm I'm with you. If I didn't, I wasn't. That's how I do this. I'm not interested in clicks. I don't do it. I have friends. Some are people you know, like Ted Cruz. When I think he's wrong, like I thought he was wrong to make the Trump endorsement. I said so. I thought it was wrong to choose to give the speech at the convention and knowing what we know now. Frankly, I turned out to be right about that. He should have never given that speech. It's probably the reason why he wasn't picked for attorney general today and Jeff Sessions was. If you would have taken my advice, which is just steer clear of the whole thing and either endorse or go home, say nothing. Let the process play itself out. Things might have been different. I, I, I'm Knowing Trump, I guarantee you that's why Sessions was picked. He was more loyal. And you know what? Trump won. He gets to do that. See, when I got into this business, I did think it was all about factions. And I thought, you know, well, if we, if we get this anti-establishment faction in, things will be better. Didn't change. Then I thought, if we try this next anti-establishment faction, it'll be good. Things didn't change. Then I thought, well, let's try this next. And no. No. Nothing changed. So at this point in time, I'm just interested in... I don't care where we're at on a human level. If I think what you're doing is right, I'm going to support you. And if I don't, I'm not. That doesn't mean that I'm right, by the way. My calculations aren't always right. See November 8th. That doesn't mean my, just my opinion is just that, my opinion. I don't think my opinion is fact. But I'm not going to fit into your box. And I think some of you, I can tell by the reactions I'm getting, some of you are going to have to either come to grips with that or find another radio show. And I don't mean that snarky or as a pejorative. We want to get as many listeners as we can. But if, if you are expecting me like other people to just sort of fit into, you know, the landscape, that's not how I roll. I'm not into this for that. I, 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 listen, if Donald Trump keeps doing the stuff I'm seeing in the first week, I'll be on TV in 2020 shilling for him because I thought what he did was right. And if he doesn't, then it wouldn't matter how many times he called me up. It wouldn't matter how many times he asked me to think differently. I will not. Look at General Michael Flynn today. If, if Cruz had appointed General Michael Flynn, who was the chief intelligence officer of the, of the Defense Department for, for President Obama, and walked away on, on moral grounds because he thought President Obama was a terrible commander-in-chief, would a lot of people be applauding that today? Sure they would. Well, Stevie's got Russian ties. You know what's interesting about that? This guy was appointed by President Obama, not once, twice. Where were these alleged Russian ties then? We only concerned about alleged Russian ties when he's appointed by Trump and not by Obama? So, as we go forward with our radio program, I'm not going to change, because I can't. It's the only thing I know how to do is this. I'm not getting myself immersed into factions. Just because I supported you in the past doesn't mean I always will. And just because I didn't support you in the past doesn't mean I always won't. 
I just want what's best for my kids and your kids, as best as I know what that is. If I see people doing that, I'm going to support it. If I don't, I won't. I don't grandfather people in. I don't have merit badges. Now, I don't throw people overboard because we disagree once. I'll look at the grand scheme of things. But I take my opinion of things on a case-by-case basis. If, if President Cruz had appointed Mike Huckabee ambassador to Israel and moved the, and moved the embassy to Jerusalem, what would we all say? Yeah. Would we, would we be okay with that? I, I think we would say that. We, we'd be okay with it. So, uh, so it's not okay because Trump does it? You know, we often bemoan progressives confirming for people we are who they thought they were. Let us not do the same thing. If we want people to listen to us when they get it wrong, then we need to make sure we listen to them when they get it right. You're listening to Steve Dace. is a force of nature. One of the most powerful storms ever to hit land. The Steve Day Show. I want to know what you guys think about what I just said. And and I'm not my intention is not to scold anybody here. I just want to make sure everybody knows where I'm coming from. You know, we're here to put the fun back in fundamentalism. I want a literal word-for-word interpretation of the Constitution enforced and enacted and defended. I don't care who does it. I can't stand the Republican Party. They've betrayed me so many times. I'm not even a Republican anymore. You know what, though? If they finally figure this out and they get it right, I will forget all the years they stabbed me in the back and say thank you. I just want the right thing done. I don't care who does it. My guy doesn't have to do it. I don't care if Ted Cruz is never president of the United States if the right thing gets done. I don't care. I just want the right thing done for the future of the country. I have no other motivation other than that. I really don't. Todd, your thoughts? Well, there are all manner of causes, issues, ways of going about doing things that are worth hating. But our default cannot be that hate is our first reaction even to the things we hate. We are ultimately dealing with our fellow man, all created in the image and likeness of God. And we have got to move far forward in that fashion. Even, and we're just talking about Republicans who we've had a civil war with. Listen, our charge is to try to love the people, you know, our, our, right. our, our deepest of enemies. So I, I think I'm in the ballpark of what you are talking about. See, we need to choose a better way. This tribalism, this factionalism, you are describing some, uh, something that is a deep-seated element of paganism. It can't be who we are. Kim, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that um, you know, you're know you obviously much further along in your Christian walk that you will forget all the betrayals because, man, I'm not forgetting. No, I did not say that. Those are the reasons why I'm not there. If they do the right thing, though, for the country... My personal grudges are irrelevant. Right. I'm That's not, what I'm saying. Okay. What, so you're what, still going to remember. What they've done to personally stab me in the back is irrelevant at this point. Because it's not, I, I, I didn't do never Trump for me. 
I don't tell me whose career was helped by that. Sean Hannity's making twenty nine million a year. I'm in the wrong. I'm doing this wrong, guys. I think we're all recognizing I'm not doing this the way that you should do it to make a lot of money. What I'm talking about is I don't really care. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care whether they like me. I don't care whether they invite me. New York Times reporter asked me today, "Do you feel shunned?" I said, "I'm the wrong guy to ask because I really just don't." care. I just as soon not have to pretend to like anybody, and they just did the right thing. I came and did a radio show, made a nice living, and went home to my family and didn't have to get involved. I'd prefer not to be an activist when I'm not on the air. I'd like to just be an entertainer. I'd like to be. I didn't get into this to be an activist. I realized, though, that if what I was doing on the radio was going to count, I was going to have to get my hands dirty when I wasn't on the air. That notwithstanding, if they do the right thing, I really don't care what they did to me in the past. I just want the right thing done for the country. It's not about me. Okay. Well, you know, what I was going to say is that I, I'll still remember the betrayals because that's how I stay, you know, cautiously optimistic. That's how I continue to, to um, see what they're doing. But when they do it right, integrity demands that you say that they've done this right. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. That's where I'm at. That, that's where, And so I, I know we all want, you know, fit me into your little th- no. That is how we got into this mess. By the way, did I find it weird when I was on Never Trump phone calls with John Weaver, Kasich's chief of staff, and these guys? Yeah, because y'all know what I, I'm, I, I was just writing last year that John Kasich is basically trying to make the case St. Peter is a communist. But why did I do it? Because I thought he was right at that time. Right. I mean, that's why I did it. Even when Obama says something that's right, you have to say that's absolutely right. I mean, it goes across party lines. It grows across demographics. You have to have integrity and say whether it's true or not. This is something I have um, thought about, uh, what I'm about to say. I've thought about a lot, especially in the last year and uh, the last six months, uh, even more. I am never going. I believe that there is a vast chasm between expecting people to let you down and waiting for them to. And what I mean by that... Well said. And by what I mean by that is that you can absolutely um, uh, just not embrace, but you can um, admit that human nature is what it is. And expecting people to let you down is part of that. But spending your time and spending your energy and waiting with bated breath for them to let you down... That is letting human nature, that is letting the world overcome you. I believe if you, let, if you spend any time doing that. So while I'm uh, expecting maybe sometimes uh, for this Trump administration and different facets of it to let me down, I'm not waiting with bated breath. And as soon as I do that, and I, Steve, you've called uh, Todd and I to keep you accountable for stuff on the show. I'm going to go a little bit rogue here. And if I ever start doing that, tell me. Because that's a time that I need to step away from the political process and step away from anything having to do with it. I don't know, given if you are as cynical about who he is and who he was as I was, I don't know how this could be much better. I mean, I, I haven't seen a decision. Now, there's a lot of rumors. But an, I haven't seen an actual decision that I thought if we had President Cruz, there's no way that would happen. I've not seen that. Have you seen that? I've not, have you seen not have they, really, have, no. something that they've actually done? Not that's been speculated about, bandied about, you know, does he want his kids to have national security clearance? But the stuff they've announced. I mean, even today, the guy they announced to hire, to, they, they put in charge of the CIA. Now, I mean, you know, this is going to have Kim's libertarian spidey sense tingling. Even Justin Amash came out today. And said, you know what, I can, anybody Trump would have put in that position I was going to disagree with. But I know this congressman, he, will at, least, he at least listens to our concerns. So I'm, I view that even as a positive step. 
I don't know what I've seen that if we had gotten our guy and Ted Cruz was about to take the oath of office, I don't know what well, we've seen formalized well, that's much different than what he would have done. You know I agree with your premise, but there's no way Cruz appoints Bannon or Priebus. That, of course, is true. But would Cruz have appointed the two people that he views were very loyal in helping him get there? Well, Je- Jeff Rowe and, yeah, and Jason I get Johnson? The, I get the loyalty I mean, Listen, I, like, I know both of those guys. I like them both. The reality is, if, and I'm not drawing a moral equivalency between Steve Bannon and alt-right nationalism no, no, and no, Jeff no. Rowe, but if you do what Bannon and Rowe do for a living... Trust me, you're going to make a lot of enemies. We'd hear all kinds of horror stories. Jeff Rowe went after some guy in the Missouri politics, and he killed himself because he got because the, the attacks were so ruthless. Those were those would be the stories we'd be watching right now about Chief of Staff Jeff Rowe. That is, oh. there there is something almost inherent to I get it. if you do that for even a I've got that biography. Yeah, I yeah, get so, it. So so I mean, it's just a matter of which of these sorts of seedy elements that are attached to this line of work are you the most comfortable with at the time, Reince Priebus would be nowhere near the White House. That is for sure. Okay, there, that's, I think we all agree on that. Reince Priebus would be nowhere near the White House. Other than that, I don't know what is really that much different. I don't. I don't, I don't disagree. And so I think we should acknowledge that. I... I, I, I <laughs> I don't want us to be shills, but don't we want what's best for the country? Don't we want this to work? I don't think some of you do. That bothers me. Now, expecting it not to work because of the guy's background and and track record, I don't have a problem with that analysis. That's why I didn't vote for him. I didn't expect it to work. I expected water to reach its level, and by the time we get to the next four years, eventually it likely will. But based on what we're seeing right now, don't we want what is best for the country? And he has made several decisions so far that are a dramatic improvement over what we have. You're listening to Steve Dace. Got his finger on the button of truth. Put the finger down. It's Steve Dace. Quick postscript. Last note on the conversation we were just having before we move on. Posted a poll on Twitter last night. Your thoughts on how the early returns on the Trump transition administration is shaping up. 5% stay, say still hashtag MAGA, make America great again. 24% say still hashtag never Trump. 11% say they're more pessimistic. 60% say they are more optimistic about how things are going so far. Well, speaking of optimism, you know what that means. It is time for this week's sign, The Apocalypse is Upon Us, where we find out just how far down America's rabbit hole goes with this week's worst of our worst, our very own Aaron. Thank you, Steve. You all know the uh, app called Tinder, right? Are you familiar with that? It's billed Which as, one is this? Uh, it's billed as a dating app, but it's really just a Swipe hookup. right, swipe left. Is this the hookup app? It is a hookup app, okay. and it is my generation's favorite way to spread STDs, unless you think I'm being facetious. A study out of Rhode Island from just a couple of years ago blamed dating apps like tinder on a 79 percent increase in syphilis this thing ain't good news bob well good news though if you are a fan of tinder and uh this week the company 
just announced big news. That should be just uh, make all of us ecstatic. I'm a blogger and I'm transgender. I'm a full-time model and I identify as male. I'm a DJ and a philanthropist and I'm a female gender. I'm a makeup artist, cosmetic trainer. I identify as male for now. Currently working full-time with Slay Model Management and I identify as female. Media advocate and trans activist, I am a transgender woman. DJ and actor and I identify as trans female. I am an artist, a producer on the show Transparent. I'm a trans woman. I'm an artist and a publisher. I am a man of transgender experience. I'm an actor and I'm a trans woman. I'm a TV writer. My uh, preferred gender is a gender, no gender. Tinder has created over 20 billion matches in 196 countries. That's billions of matches that would have never have existed before. Countless friendships, marriages, relationships. We want to make sure everyone has the ability to meet someone new that can have a profound impact in their lives. Tinder's been great for a lot of trans people, but for some trans people, they've had issues with users who are misusing the system to report people just for being trans. That is uh, correct. Great news from uh, Tinder that uh, they have expanded their gender identities to 37. So now 37 gender identities will be able to find and uh, get their freak on if um, if they want with the uh, different people from their area. This is this week's sign of the apocalypse that even even hookup apps will be made to care. Um. They're a bunch of bigots. Only 37. Yeah, because Facebook has well over 50, don't they? Oh, it's, I think it's more than that. Isn't now. it 57 gender identities they have now at Facebook no, that's, that that's, you are able Heinz, to access? That's Heinz ketchup, isn't it? There's 57 different. Isn't it? I thought it was like 57, wasn't it, guys? Let me look that up. Look that up, because I want to be able to say Tinder's a bunch of bigots. I want that to be true. In fact, I'm not going to call you on it. You just keep doing what you need to do, boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know... There's a lot of um, th- there's a lot of flippant things we could say about what you just heard, and they're all true. But you know, as we were listening to that montage, you know, I don't know what you guys thought. The snark was muted when this little voice in the back of my head said, "That is a lot of people that need some prayer." Those are some really troubled souls the devil's holding court yeah this is that those are some lost souls man and therefore by the grace of god go i i mean that's just that's not i i don't have i i i I don't know maybe i'm getting uh sentimental in my old age and it's it's the holiday season but i i don't have the snowflake snark for what we just heard that's sad what we just heard that's just that's tragic I don't know what you guys' reaction to it was, but but that's mine. By the way, it's uh, between 71 and unlimited gender identities on Facebook. So Tinder is uh, a bunch of bigots. bigots Thank yeah. you for confirming that, Aaron. Todd? Well, to the people of reason and science, I must once again say this. These people are, in their own words, confessing that I'm this for now. I'm nothing. I'm everything. It's totally up for grabs, moment by moment. The the amount of reason and science that that abandons is staggering. But then the only thing rigid in this whole discussion is that I have to accept all of it. I have to swallow it from the fire hose. Never gonna happen. 
then you will be made to care. Nope. Listening to Steve Dace. Everybody needs a hobby. So, what's yours? Resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. Mike Woody is here to take us to the movies on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Michael, how are you? Oh, what a great week. It should, all started last Saturday night, Steve. I should give you a preemptive happy Thanksgiving because we won't be here next week, obviously, with the holiday. Good. So we should have some uh, some movies to review. Where are we going to talk about this week? Uh, we have got a movie called Arrival. We have a movie called Moonlight. And we have a movie that starts tonight called Edge of Seventeen. Let's start with The Arrival, which is one of the better-reviewed mainstream movies of the year. I've not had a chance to see it yet, although I'm greatly looking forward to it. Uh, Tell us what you thought. I thought it was absolutely awesome. How's that? It is a thinking person's Hmm. sci-fi. It is, um, I mean, you walk out of the movie, and, and I think when I walked out, I said, well, that was a great movie. And I'm not even sure if I understood what happened. They play with timelines. It's nonlinear. Things that happen in the beginning don't happen. It's it's very... The audience scores coming out have not been as high as you would think. And I think that's because a lot of people, they go to the movies and they expect everything to be all wrapped up in a nice little bow at the end. And this one doesn't wrap up that way. So we talked about this last week. Would it compare to Christopher Nolan's Interstellar from a year ago? Absolutely. You said that you actually thought, based on what you had heard about it, it might compare more with Nolan's Inception. And it sounds like, now that you've seen the film, you basically confirm that. I think you're going to see both of those films. You're going to see a lot of both of those. It's It's just very... And Amy Adams, I'm telling you, that woman... No makeup, nothing. She is just fabulous. And these creatures that we see glimpses of, unlike anything you've ever seen, the way they communicate with us, because the whole movie is predicated on there are 11 of these pods that have just descended. Like the monoliths in in 2001, for example. And they've just descended. So there's 12 of them around the planet. There's one in Montana. They come and grab this woman and a mathematician played by uh, Jeremy Renner, and they take him out to Montana, and they have to figure out what these are and how do we communicate with them. And once we communicate, why are they here? Oh, man, it's good. How many mushroom clouds? Four. I'm surprised you didn't give it more. Given, the, I mean, you just said it's awesome, but you only gave it four. You'll see it. You'll see it. I got three, four movies for you today. All right, what's next? All right. Moonlight. Oh, boy, this is a very intense, very raw film. It is about a young boy. I'm guessing in the beginning of the film, he's probably seven or eight, um, who lives on the streets. Mom is, mom's got some, 
uh, some substance issues. Um, a drug dealer comes and uh, picks him up because the kid's wandering the streets by himself. Clearly, n- no parent figure in his life. Um, so this starts a very strange but but kind of a tender relationship with this drug dealer. He takes this kid to his house, and his wife, girlfriend, they never really say what she is, they pretty much take care of this kid for many years. So the film starts when he is small. Then it goes to him in high school where he has issues, bullying, that kind of stuff. And then the last third of the movie is him as an adult, and you see where this young boy has seen some things in his life that have created him to be different than he probably would have turned out. Mom is gone at this point. Um, actually, she's in an institution. But it is it is a tough movie to watch, but the acting in this movie is, and the story is just so visceral and so, oof, boy, it's, Who's it's hard this? to watch. Nobody you would know. Uh, actually, if you've watched Luke Cage on um, yep. Netflix. I have, yeah. Uh, Cottonmouth's in it. He plays the drug dealer. Well, that guy's a great actor. He is a great actor. I mean, he is a really, really good actor. I've seen him in several different things, TV shows and the like. I thought he was great as Cottonmouth on Luke Cage. And I thought that the show took a precipitous dive. Did you watch it? I have not finished. I, I think series. the show takes a precipitous dive. I won't spoil it for you then. Oh, yeah. It, he's it, it he's takes not a, with us anymore. It takes a precipitous dive when, when he, he exits... And the second villain comes in, who's basically a guy trying to impersonate Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction, and it's really annoying. Oh, okay. But um, th- the show, I thought, was, was, had some serious things to say. Yes. About black America and urban life when he was the, when he was the villain. Yes. I, I think it kind of became a, a comic book caricature when he left, and Diamondback came in, and it kind of lost all of its intellectual heft. Don't, didn't, you get that, didn't you get that read? Uh, I am just to the point where he has um, exited. All right, so you haven't seen the emergence of, I of Diamondback seen, I haven't yet. seen the new guy yet. Yeah, well, the new guy is, uh, is it's like watching someone impersonate someone impersonating Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction. It's way, that would it's be a t- way over-the-top caricature. This Cottonmouth actor, he's the guy who plays Moses in Free State of Jones, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah he's in that, too. Yeah, yeah. he's excellent. He's really, he's, he's really good. He's really good, yeah. I mean, when he says in Free State of Jones, no man can own a child of God. Right. Made the hair in the back of my neck stand up. And he's in the Kevin Spacey, um, that we talk about all the time, the Netflix um, president. House of Cards. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah. In, House yeah, he's Cards. in that as well. I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah, he's in that the, as well. This movie is really, really good, and he will probably get an Oscar nomination, as I think the the... The high school version of this kid will. All right, what's next? Oh, we got a little movie. Oh, how many Mushroom Claws? Real quick. That's four. Okay. All, everybody's got four today. The last one is Edge of Seventeen, which is allegedly a John Hughes movie made in 2016. That's what they're going for. They're going for a pretty and pink kind of a vibe here. And it's the it's the girl, Haley uh, Steinfeld or Stenfeld. That was in True Grit, oh, the, sure. the remake of True Grit sure. years ago, and got an Oscar nomination. Um, she plays a 17-year-old girl, high school girl, and it is R-rated. I'll just tell you that. There's a lot of stupid stuff going on. But she and this uh, other girl have grown up together their entire lives since they were in, like, second grade. And 
everything's great, they're in high school, they're loving it, and then her best friend decides that she's going to date her brother. And bad things happen. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberals seem to have a tough time handling so much truth all in one place. Stop! 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 It's the Steve Day Show. All right, back here with Mike Woody taking us to the movies here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. How many mushroom clouds, by the way, for Edge of 17? Edge of 17 gets four. It is just, you know, how many times have we seen one of these coming-of-age films? This one, with an extremely talented actress, really pulls it off. So what's new on demand? A lot of people taking the next few days off. Thanksgiving weekend is coming up, so there's going to be a lot of time to sit around, kind of relax, veg after gorging yourself, right? So what are we going to be watching? (laughs) Uh, I think this week you're going to be watching Finding Dory, because that is just about the only thing that came out this week. Which is, you know, if if you're a fan of Finding Nemo and and your kids are of that age, I didn't think it was that good. It, it it's not bad. I didn't say it was bad. I didn't think it was yeah. that good. I well, just, it, you know, I would have figured it, the first one came out in '03. I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah, and Ellen really was the one pushing this one. So I I would have figured with you know, ten plus years to come up with a plot. <laughs> they could have written something better. Have you, did you take your kids to see that, Todd? No, we're actually watching as a family on Saturday night. See? Okay, all right. It's okay. Yeah, it's you it's know, good. but it's it's a it's a it's a lesser done version of the original. It's right. pretty much just a retread, didn't you think? Yeah, which is what pretty much most sounds like. Force are. Awakens. <laughs> Todd does not like <laughs> Episode Seven. I've noticed that. Hey, go back. Let's go back to Edge of Seventeen for two seconds. Woody Harrelson plays a normal person, and he is great as a stoned-out teacher that just thought you said he played a normal person. Well, he's not stoned <laughs> now. He's just this. Let's let's say burned out. You teacher. told you're the one that said he plays a normal ter- person or te- person. Then you come back with stoned-out teacher. He's a burned-out teacher. Where's that, that normal? Where is that care. normal? Well. It might be more normal than you think, unfortunately. That's why you're homeschooling, man. That, that is probably one of the reasons why. But Woody Harrelson, as he's just this, you know, he doesn't care. He just puts a movie in and leaves the classroom. So that's it. There's nothing other than Finding Dory? No. Nothing. Like I, literally nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But as far as new stuff, that's it. It's bad right now. Is it? It's bad. I'm, I'm starving to just rent a good movie. But they, they don't release those on on demand because everybody's in the movie theaters this time of year. So what's coming up that we're going to be talking about next time we see you here in a couple of weeks? Uh, let's see. we got uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. What's your the, read on that? Um, you know what? I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. But this one looks good. Neither is Aaron, apparently, from what Uh, we learned yesterday. Really? Steve chastised him for that sufficiently. (laughs) Wow. What else? Uh, We've got Loving, which is the the interracial story set in 1958. We've got Warren Beatty's long, long, long long-awaited Howard Hughes movie called Rules Don't Apply, Moana, 
Good All right. Job. We'll see you after Thanksgiving, man. Have a good holiday. Right. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number two underway here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Don't forget, coming up a little bit later on tonight, we'll get to some of your feedback with Feedback Friday. But first, it's time for the Dace Group. With a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, this is your weekly look at the week that was. Issue one. The transition begins. Donald Trump announced today that he has chosen key members of his national security team, including CIA director, attorney general, and national security advisor. Representative Mike Pompeo of Kansas has been selected for CIA director. Retired Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn has been offered the job of national security advisor. And Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions has been picked for attorney general. All three have accepted their offers. They will join Trump's chief of staff. Reince Priebus and Trump's senior advisor Steve Bannon in Trump's cabinet. Jeff Sessions, who has long been a defendant of border security and stronger immigration policy, will head up a Department of Justice many say has been used as a political tool by the current administration. Kansas Representative Mike Pompeo, a former Army officer and a member of the House Intelligence Committee, will take point over the CIA and has seemingly been well received. General Mike Flynn, a Democrat, will be Trump's national security advisor. Reaction to his appointment has been mixed, with some people criticizing him for not having an anti-Russia stance. The first week and then some of the transition from President-elect Trump to President Trump has been rife with rumors and mixed messages, but what we do know should be encouraging for conservatives. In addition to the new appointments just listed, Trump removed Chris Christie as the head of his transition team and put Mike Pence in charge. Then it was reported Mike Pence kicked all lobbyists off the transition team. Then another report said appointees to Trump's administration will be asked to sign a form bar them from being a registered lobbyist for five years after they leave government service. So far, in terms of concrete news, the early returns on the Trump administration should at least hint at optimism for conservatives. First question to you, Kim. All the rumors, mixed messages, concrete news we've heard so far in this transition to the new, still weird to say, Trump presidency, it tells us what? What I think it tells us is that this transition team is just picking up where the campaign team left off, meaning it's a mixed bag. There are going to be days where you think, oh, this is this is awesome, and other days where you think, what in the world are they doing? The trial balloons that they throw out to see if this is going to um, you know, fly or not. Um, so it's a mixed bag. Um, cautiously optimistic. I love the idea that you have a five-year lobbyist ban. Are you kidding me? Getting rid of Chris Christie is... 
is awesome. I mean, Chris Christie is really, I mean, I think we can all agree, he's he's done. He's absolutely done. So, mixed bag. Todd. Listen, if you tee up Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon right out of the gate, you're asking for it. On the other hand, and we talked about this earlier in the week, the day uh, you were gone, uh, one of the days you were gone, Steve, perhaps teeing up Steve Bannon has nothing to do with getting advice. It's to actually keep the press going nuts and to constantly remind the public, this is why I'm here, because these people are nuts. You think all this stuff they're talking about, Bannon, it, it's noise, maybe, maybe not. But what's for sure, the press can't help themselves. They learn no lessons. So in other words, uh, something we talked about throughout much of the campaign when it looked as if Hillary would win, that once the dichotomy was removed, once the ability to play off of Trump's negatives were removed, you would see all of her negatives come to the surface with a vengeance, right? We talked about that quite a bit. And then after he won, we talked about that on the show last week. So what's the antidote? So he needs needs a foil. He needs a straw man. Bannon is the straw that stirs the drink, that keeps the media in media mode, that keeps them front and center. Because the one thing you're not, I think we've learned this, you are not, there, nobody is, nobody's going to beat Donald Trump in a personality contest. It's simply, you can't out shameless him, you can't out, you can't go lower than he goes, you can't out name call him, you are not going to defeat him in this era of uh, reality TV and, and fake news, you're not going to out personality him, and so he, but he needs a foil. So that he doesn't have to, so that, that, that keeps some of those negatives at bay, that gives him something to play off of. And you say that, that they're using the media as that. And because I don't want to drift in to hyperbole, I want to ask you point blank. Would you put it past Trump to put Bannon in there for that reason? Hey, say, hey, guys, watch this. Watch me mess with him. I, I'm, not, I'm being dead serious. I think he would do that for that reason to keep the press nuts. No, I, I wouldn't put it past him at all. And I also think it's, it's, it's because of... There's a common refrain of all the names that have been seriously thrown out there and considered and appointed so far. Um, and, that would, and, and that is, these are all people to some extent that were very loyal to him uh, during the election and the primary process. Uh, now, perhaps when he meets with Mitt Romney this weekend, that will, that will break that glass ceiling. But I don't know. I mean, met with Ted Cruz for five hours, then turned around and named Jeff Sessions as attorney general. So these could be show trials, too. I mean, I'm, I'm just granting I'm going to I'll grant an audience uh, with the various factions and those who did not kiss my ring to appear malleable and amicable. But in the end, I'll just go ahead and, uh, you know, put my own person on there that I was going to name anyway. I, that, that's, a, that's very Trumpian as well. Kim, and Kim, and he, by the way, he won the election. So we are in yeah, that. You may not like true. it, but there's no argument. Scoreboard doesn't win, Aaron. Kim, yeah, and I, I, would, uh, I would. I'm sorry, Todd. Were you going to add Kim and I think he's just trolling them by inviting them to the White House and making them. That vote. is absolutely possible. And Mitt Romney and Ted Cruz are grown ass men, and nobody made the, nobody's making them go to Trump Tower. They're, they're doing this of their own accord, Aaron. Thank you. Yes. Um, I, I think if this were a football team right now, if Trump's administration were a football team right now, we would be in the July and August phase where all these expectations and rumors are swirling and, and people are saying, well, you know, this could be a, a really good thing. We don't really know. Um, and I've, I've seen, I mean, I've experienced, and we all have as, as football fans, um, expectations going into a season. I remember the 2012 Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs. I thought they were going to be a, a great team. They ended up 2-14. and 14. I remember last year with the Iowa Hawkeyes, kind of middling expectations. Expectations. I didn't really think much of them, and they went 12 and 0. Point is, we don't know what the heck is going to happen because the rubber hasn't made uh, met, the, the rubber hasn't hit the road. The games, no games have been played yet. 
uh, we think so far so good with us with the the players on the team. But that's you know we haven't faced any trials, so we don't know what the heck's going to happen. You mentioned a mixed bag, Kim. Tell me what your what what, what the, where the your pessimism so far comes from. Um, or well, confirmation of your low expectations, however you choose to define it. <laughs> right. Um, well, okay, so I like the idea that Chris Christie is gone from the transition team. I like that Mike Pence is doing that. Um, Jeff Sessions, I think, um, is a good choice for attorney general. We'll see how he does. He can't rise above where... Um, Donald Trump will go. So, you know, will they build a wall? Will they not? Will they continue to enforce the law? Will they not? I mean, so I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Um, I I don't know that I'd ever find a CIA director that I like. Um, This guy, Pompeo, he loves NSA. He loves the metadata stuff. So, you know. it's It'll be mixed. I I still don't know who else he's going to pick. I mean, this is still early. Todd? Yeah, I I like the fact that he's gotten past one of his criticisms and he hasn't dragged his feet on uh, national security. He, he put he put somebody in there. People are saying he's not, and they're, of course they're making assertions about him that they never made about Obama. The number of hands. Well, he has no foreign policy experience. Your guy was just walking the streets of Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, a, a while ago doing his um, Saul Alinsky stuff. So he's been a grown up in terms of at least looking like I need to take care of this. I have. Aaron, you want any final thoughts on this? Uh, one, one quick thing. I, I keep coming back to this thought, not to be a Debbie Downer, but I keep coming back to this thought that he, he is, so far, he's rewarding the people who have helped him to this point. And the people who have helped him to this point, how many of them ever just uh, would not bow the knee to him when, during the campaign season? How many of them um, just what we would call uh, sold out to him? What's going to happen? If they sold out to Trump uh, then, yes, they have these great records, and maybe there's some optimism. What's going to happen, as I said earlier, when the rubber meets the road? Are they going to sell out again down the road? It's just a, that's that's the cause. That's the mixed bag. That's the negative side of the mixed bag for me. Well, one man's sellout is another man's investor. Uh, and these guys invested in a stock. That's true. And it paid that's, off. That's a good point. So, that's a good point. I mean— that has to be recognized. Yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, so, I mean, we have to live in the world as it is, mm-hmm. not the world as we would prefer it to be. He won. He gets to he, he gets to make the decisions he wants. And now we see if those decisions pan out. Exit question. Would you say you're more optimistic or pessimistic about a Trump presidency than you were prior to the election based on what you've seen thus far? Kim? Cautiously optimistic. Slightly more pessimistic because of our reaction to him. Overall optimistic. I agree with Kim. I think the answer is I am cautiously optimistic. We'll come back. The left goes lefter next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look back at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get to issue two. The left goes lefter. The Democratic Party and their supporters still seem to be reeling after last week's embarrassing general election defeat. And one of the first moves the Democratic National Committee is evidently looking to make is to appoint Keith Ellison as its chairman. Who is Keith Ellison? Ellison is a congressman for Minnesota's heavily urban 5th Congressional District. 
He was also formerly a spokesman for Louis Farrakhan's Nation of Islam and, according to the Daily Caller, quote, publicly spewed anti-Semitism and later in life as a congressional candidate knowingly accepted $50,000 in campaign contributions given and raised by Islamic radicals who openly supported Islamic terrorism and were leaders of front groups for Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, end quote. And he's more than once hinted that 9-11 was an inside job. This audio is from 2007. Because remember 9-11, right? You would never have all this discrimination against religious minorities. Uh, and, but for 9-11, I mean, you, know, you had it, but you didn't have it to the degree that we have it now. All, 9-11 is this, is this juggernaut event in American history, and it, it allows, I mean, it's almost like, you know, the Reichstag fire kind of reminds me of that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, who benefited from 9-11? Well, I mean, you know, uh, you, you and I both know. And this man will likely have a large voice in some of the biggest decisions one half of the political spectrum will make for years to come. The fact that the DNC is considering making its next chairman, which who will be the face of its party for the next four years, the fact they are making someone who is a Muslim progressive that, that thinks 9-11 was an excuse uh, to go after other Muslims akin to the Reichstag fire, Tells us what about the left, Todd, I ask you. That it's another day that ends in Y. This is an incredibly emotional party. It is not the party of reason and science. We have spent the last how many years having gender wars and deciding who gets to go to the bathroom where, having race wars, uh, University of Missouri, uh, having uh, safety uh, cities that are causing uh, young uh, uh, sanctuary cities, excuse me, that are causing young women like Kate Steinle uh, to be murdered. And we don't blink an eye at that, but we uh, want to talk about how uh, uh, Christians are persona non grata, you know, florists and, um, and cake bakers. So they're not going to change. This reminds me of the scene in The Passion of the Christ when that whispering androgynous devil at the very end has been doing what it's doing and then. At, uh, upon the uh, uh, crucifixion, that scene where the, de- the camera is looking down at the devil and it just screams, it's guttural yelp. The devil didn't just get pensive right there and say, oh, well played, uh, Jesus, well played. No, double down on evil. I want everything you have. I want all the people you claim to love. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Aaron. Completely agree with that. This is not new. This is not uh, to be unexpected. Yes, it's bad, but we already knew that the left and all of its um, belief that progressivism is already, we already knew that was bad uh, for the United States. This is just uh, another indication that this is madness. This is insanity. But apart from a plumb line, apart from a moral plumb line, we cannot expect anything different from people who have no standard. So this is, I mean, until uh, progressivism is defeated, it cannot be worked with, it cannot be reasoned with. It is a cult, as you have pointed out multiple times, Meaning progressivism. Progressivism, I should say. Uh, It is a cult. Until we realize that uh, cults must be defeated and vanquished, uh, this ideology must be defeated and vanquished, until we realize that and are willing to put in place policies and to uh, develop a message that can defeat progressivism, we're going to get more of this insanity. It's never going to end until we realize that. Kim? And right now, it's the left, the progressivism, it's 
it's like under the surface, they're kind of reeling from this election. But, you know, you have to keep in mind, like Daniel Horowitz said, they actually control the judiciary. They control um, cultural institutions. They control the education system. And um, they are going to do what you said. They're going to double down. They're not going away. They are regrouping is what we've got. Regrouping to what end? Well, I mean, the, the last vestige of their march through the institutions is, is uh, total control. Uh, over um, over government and total control over each of its citizens. Yes, I mean, they, they control, as you just rightly pointed out, Kim, they control uh, the judiciary. They control much of our culture makers in this country. But uh, their, their final vestige, replacing uh, God with government, that is still yet to fall, I believe, at large in the United States. It's falling but that still has yet to fall, and I think that's the... That's why I asked to what end, Todd, because the way they're going about it is how they won't close the deal. They're, they're, they are insulating and inoculating Trump from legit concerns about his authorian tendencies that, we, that will eventually character manifest itself. We'll likely see it in his presidency. But because of this act that we are watching right now, they are almost, they're, they're, they're giving him a political polo shot. They're like the Jonas Salk of oppo research, Todd. They're helping yeah, yeah, him. But they don't believe that yet. Think of the time, and you know you've been in shoes like that where you've been the lone wolf in the room who is right, and you're surrounded by people by who are... I meant polio shot, not polo shot. I apologize. <laughs> Go ahead. And you are the people, uh, you're surrounded by people who are wrong, and you're, they're coming at you with all guns, change, change, change. Here I stand. They, as emotional as they are, they, you know that they believe that they are doing that on some level. That's that's why this is so, so challenging. So they are waiting for the, and it's going to come soon. They're going to wait for the next Sandra Fluck opportunity. We're just days, if not weeks, away from that, where they are going to make the entire news cycle about something like that, and and it'll irritate a lot of people, and it won't it, it change the problems that they have, but it will. It will be this kind of thing where you're putting like burning tires in the middle of the road to prevent real progress from happening. It just grinds yeah. the gears. And, and I would agree with that. And I don't want to step on uh, one of our later topics. But uh, even if there is a Sandra Fluck moment, the, the media, the credibility of the, this is another That's my can, point. can of worms. Yes. The media's credibility he has beat been them. shot. He beat the media. He beat them. They, 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 they have. They can't touch him now. They can't touch. But him. he still needs to show that he can beat. Congress, government, the courts. Sure, he needs to show he can govern. I so agree with that's that. That's it. Yes. Yeah. But but ultimately, the sort of things you're describing, half of the country, if not more, just tuning those things out. They will fall on deaf ears. I mean, they just he's already beaten him. The stuff that they've used to bring down other Republicans isn't going to bring him down. Ultimately, he's put himself in a position now. He will rise or fall on the basis of his own ability to govern. And it's been a long time since there's been a Republican in that position, maybe since Reagan, frankly, uh, who beat the media as well, although just with more of a deft touch than the sledgehammer that Donald Trump used. Uh, Let's go to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being a nothing burger and 10 being extinction-level event, how much trouble is the Democrat Party in going forward, Kim? Um, I think it's a nothing burger. One. Three. Um, I, I'm actually going a little bit uh, higher than that. I think it's going to be a, a six or seven. Oh. I think it depends on how you receive this question. If you receive it in the context of what Aaron referred to with his Antonio Gramsci reference a few minutes ago, the long march to the institutions, if you look at it in the context of the progress they have made, pardon the pun on the word there, uh, the progress they have made so far in this generation, then it's a nothing burger. 
because they are still largely entrenched and insulated at many of the institutions uh, that control the culture. If you look at it, though, going forward, it is clear there are some cracks in their so-called demographic dynasty uh, or, you know, destiny, I should say, that that was a fait accompli. It's clear that may not necessarily be the case. But again, they've made so much progress leading up to this cycle that it's going to take several more elections like the one you just had to begin substantively rolling that progress back. Listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network. Issue three, meet the new government. Same as the old big government? It's the week after one of the most shocking election results in recent American political history, an election where the people sent a clear message of displeasure towards Washington, D.C. So what does Congress do? Well, they pass a new tax, of course. Monday night, the Republican-controlled House voted in favor of a tax on concrete to placate special interests in Washington, D.C. Provided yet another opportunity to expand on the size and scope of government, the House of Representatives overwhelmingly passed H.R. 985, the Concrete Masonry Products Research, Education, and Promotion Act of 2015, a tax in all but name on concrete the stuff they use to build roads. But that wasn't enough for the behemoth this week either, as talks of bringing back earmarks circulated for a few days as well. An earmark is essentially an individual lawmaker stipulating in part of a bill that Congress spend a specific amount of money on a designated project. What that allowed for was a massive amount of pandering and pork to special interests groups, past tense because earmarks have been banned for the last six years. House Speaker Paul Ryan did quash any talk of bringing back earmarks this week, but if there was any lesson big government should have been taught from last week's election, it's ignored that lesson so far. First question, who is the Republican Party now, Kim? Is it the one in Congress debating bringing back earmarks, taxing concrete? Is it what we're watching in Trump Tower where we're kicking out the lobbyist, or does it remain to be seen? What say you? <laughs> I was going to answer it. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's schizophrenic. It's it goes to something you talk about frequently. What is conservatism? Mm-hmm. What do these people even know about principles of conservatism? What are we trying? What are to we conserve? trying to conserve? Right. Um, you know, and then all you have to do is look at the Liberty Scorecard on Conservative Review, and you know, these guys for the most part, are not actually good constitutional conservatives. So um, it will continue to be this mixed bag. It's going to be very schizophrenic. I mean, I like the idea, for example, that they want to stop the last-minute regulations that are being pushed through, right? That's a great idea. But then the earmarks, honest to God, really? That's what you, you take away from this lesson of this election? Until proven otherwise the same as it ever was. Steve, you talked often and were right that uh, the election with with Trump was in many respects, it wasn't revolutionary. It was the same uh, white guy, uh, old white guy, as it was the last couple of elections. So we just got done talking about the press can't stop itself. For the time being, it's going to be the same as it ever was. So are the Republicans. In, up and until Donald Trump, his presence actually in the White House as the guy 
who can govern and not just win this election. It's going expect everybody to be the same. This is a this is a constant. Why why on earth would we should would we expect anybody to suddenly change their stripes? Aaron, uh, I completely agree. I, I just, there's there's nothing different here, and until we see something change um, for the for the better, and and you know kicking out the lobbyists uh, from from Trump Tower. And uh, making um, this policy where if you want to be in Trump's administration, you got to sign away uh, five years of your life uh, before you can come um, you know, become a registered lobbyist. You know, those things are good. But until we actually see something legislatively that's that's just different than what we've seen so far uh, in any Republican controlled Congress or Republican controlled, um, you know, governments, uh, government so far, it's I mean, I have no reason to expect any change. I mean, that's just not it's not human nature so far. I mean, I it, we just haven't punished these people enough, I don't think, to expect any real change. Will there be a point in time or is it impossible to know? But will there be a point in time where the interests along the lines of, like, the lobbyist brigade, the interests of a Trump presidency and the Republican Congress collide? And if so, what happens? Or do we not know? May Trump just simply say, you know what? This is the vow I made to the people that elected me, and I'm going to keep it. What y'all do down there in that little, you know, den of harlots you have going on, provided you, you do what I ask you to do, it's none of my business. That's, that's your kind of scam. I'm running my own game over here. Or do you think he'll confront that down there? I think as long as he keeps them comfortable and doesn't get rid of the K Street gravy train, mm-hmm. haven't we all learned that this Congress, that the Republicans in this Congress, will roll over and do just about anything? I think they'll sign off. Well, for Democrats. We have learned they will roll over and do just about well, anything for Democrats. <laughs> Donald, not necessarily for us. That's true. Are we sure Donald Trump isn't a Democrat? Well, I think I think Trump transcends political labels. We ele- he's a he's a Republican president. He's whatever he's he not, needs to be. He's whatever he needs to be. But you know, I wonder on what issue would there be a confrontation? I mean, he's been all over the board on immigration, right? Well, it's, it's, that's why I said we may I don't there even, may not be. Exactly. He may decide it doesn't it doesn't collide with his interest of what he wants to do. Exit question: Will Trump turn over the D.C. money changers, Todd? Uh, no. Kim? Some of them. Mm, nah. The answer is President Trump will do what's best for President Trump. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Issue four, journalism is magical and not at all broken. The mainstream media is still beside itself at the prospect of a Trump presidency. This montage is from the Media Research Center, and it should give you a pretty good idea of what that actually means. If Trump wins, how about bursting into tears and screaming for the next 45 minutes? Well, America is crying tonight. I'm not sure how much of America, but a very, very significant portion. And I mean literally crying. Everybody is crying and so upset, and it is the end of their world. Feels like the end of the world. We were on uh, Lifetime last night, and I was uh, slowly getting drunk what happened to me? How do we explain how this is possible? How did this happen? Experienced politician versus racist fake gynecologist. Get your abortions now. Because we're going to be and we're going to have to live with it. You're awake, by the way. You're not having a terrible, terrible dream. Also, you're not dead and you haven't gone to hell. 
This is your life now. This is our election now. This is us. This is our country. This is a different earth yeah. today than it was 24 hours ago. It's a different place. Uh, because it just is different. The woman who President Obama called the most qualified person ever to run for the White House couldn't break through. The question remains, who can? Deeper concerns tonight that the world's shining light of democracy has gone dark. A poll released this week from the Media Research Center in YouGov found that 7 in 10 voters do not believe the news media are honest and truthful. 8 in 10 voters believe the news coverage of the presidential campaign was biased, and 97% of voters said they don't believe the media's bias influenced their vote. Clearly, the media has its work cut out for it. First question, is the media's credibility irrevocably damaged, Todd? Asked and answered. Yeah, but it's nothing. It's not because of what we just saw. I, listen, this is a this is a vindication. I, this the is, truth is, if Hillary had won, their side, Media Matters would be running the exact montage, just different names and personalities of people on our side melting down. Can't believe that the, a third term of Obama, given where the country's at. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. Now, though, the people that would have done it on our side don't have credentials of pundits, media, you know, analysts. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There they are people that clearly are known as partisans, and that is their brand. But it, but in, in the case of many of these people, other than Stephen Colbert, many of the names you heard are people that are, cons- are supposed to be unbiased media. Yeah, and that's why it's, the answer to that is it's been this way for... Uh, Way over a decade, but at least a decade at the at the turned up to eleven level that it is now. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's a dying. It'd be one thing if this was a thriving industry. It's not. It is. It has been fiscally dying, and they still push ahead. This is their church. Unless you understand that about them, you will understand nothing about this. So it is. Yes, it is irrevocably broken. It is not the thing that any republic worth its salt truly needs for all of us to have a grown-up conversation about things, and don't expect it to change. Kim, you know what I would like for the local level, the state level, and the national level. Would you please defund the public television? Fiasco. I mean, I get sick and tired of their smugness. I mean, they had you on and asked, why did we miss this, right? Mm-hmm. It was excellent. But now they've gone right back to that moment of self-reflection was just that, a moment. You know, now they're back to their smugness again. Oh, it's insufferable to listen to these people. And I'm tired of paying for it. And this is when you commented on yesterday. This is when I said uh, Nicholas Kristof, liberal at New York Times, he wrote a really good column. Well, are you done? Is it, okay, I've done my bit, and now we go back to normal? Is anybody yes. going to do anything? The liberals are the ones who have to do something now, about it. In, in fairness to the New York Times, and we don't say that a lot, but in fairness to the New York Times, they have, is it, is it Duthout? Is that who they have working there? Douthat. He's one of the best columnists I think we have on the right. So he's not one of, he's not some, like, I don't count, like, Jennifer Rubin and David Brooks. They're not conservatives. No. I, they may not be liberals, but they're not with us. I mean, Duthat is a real conservative, all right? So they've at least given a pen and a microphone mm-hmm. to one of our own people there, but that's one guy, right? You know, where where do these people exist everywhere, you know, in other in these other sectors right. of the media? And that's a, that's a little lie we've told ourselves for a long time. It's important to have that there. That's what I wanted to be when I grow up, the conservative uh, report. You wanted to be the William Sapphire? The, but yeah. more important than that is having conservatives, along with the liberals, at the news table deciding what the news is every day. Because that's what right. bias is. The real bias is the thing that says, you know what, we're just not going to cover that. 
See, this is something I have said for years. People, I don't really care about the ideological bias. Right. I don't. It's fun. I, it, 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 and it's blatant. And most people if, per, that are not mind-numbed pick up on it. Uh, you know, we all have a bias. Just be professional yes. about it. Okay? Yes. The, 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 but the, the bias is not the ideological. It is deciding what stories get covered. You got it. And then who gets to speak for certain factions yes. of, of the population. Exactly. That, that, that I'm, I'm way over the line of senility. Pat Robertson will speak for white evangelicals right. all over America. Right. Yes. That Jesse Jackson will speak for every black person that lives in America. That, that is the power of, a, of, of, of the appointment of the proxy. And so that, so that the narrative becomes gets further entrenched and advanced because nobody outside that narrative is allowed in. I remember when I interviewed with MSNBC after the 2012 election, they said to me, it is rare for someone like you to get as, to get as far as, as this conversation. And I said, I thought for sure they meant born-again Christian, right? That, that was my built-in defense mechanism bias. That's, and I, so I asked her, you know, clarify, what does that mean? It wasn't necessarily about my faith. It was the fact that I was outside, and she said this, it, I'm outside of the norms of what's accepted for who can speak for both and, and on both sides of the aisle, because they're, they're afraid that, you know, you put somebody up there, they blow the whole narrative up, right? That, that's, that's, what, that's what I think you're taught. That's where the institutional bias comes in. I really don't think the ideological stuff, Aaron, I really don't think it convinces much of anybody. I think it just it reinforces people's preconceived notions. It is The bias is who gets to talk and speak for who, and what issues do we talk about at all? Yeah, and I would agree with that. And quickly, before we uh, get to the exit question, I, I would just add that, um, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. And the, and the question was, is the media's credibility irrevocably damaged? And he brought up, yeah. Yeah, if, you know, if Hillary had won this, won, this would be uh, happening to the other side as well, this meltdown. And that's absolutely correct. But the, the, the answer still holds because we're guilty of that, I think, on the uh, on the right side of the aisle as well. Sure. Letting certain factions, only taking the most extreme examples. Right, because we didn't see any examples on exactly. the right this year of our own people only accepting the stories they wanted to hear. Exactly. And so, not taking any contrary viewpoints at all. We didn't right. see any of that, right? Yeah, I don't think journalism, because I think the true spirit of journalism is actually finding the truth. Exit question. What's a bigger danger to the future of an informed public? Mainstream media bias or fake news sites that have arisen in response to it? Kim? I can deal with the biases. I hate the fake news sites. Mainstream media bias. uh, Both and neither. The answer is yes. Predictions are next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was. We're now going to take a look ahead because it is now time for our predictions. Kim, you're going to get to go first. Okay. Well, in February, there's going to be an election for the new DNC chair. And I am predicting it's going to be um, Elise Hogue. Who is she? Mm. She's uh, NARAL's. A spokesperson. I mean, that's this, the National Abortion Rights Action League. For those exactly, and she. I mean, you look at what the Holy Grail is for Democrats. What is it? I mean, it's emphasized child right? killing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's where they're going to go. That's the one thing that they hold up as their most prized possession: the ability to kill a child at any time. So that's that's my prediction. So so the answer will not be the Muslim progressive who thinks nine eleven was the Reichstag fire, but to go with the baby murderers. Yes. So many pleasant options. Okay. Um, all right. Todd? 
Trump is going to start to channeling Alexander. By the way, that was not. I was not commenting on the merits of your prediction. I was analyzing the oh, out- outcome of it coming true. Yeah. Okay, go no, ahead. I'm good. All right. Trump is going to channel his uh, inner Alexander the Great, and he will travel to Russia to meet with Putin by Easter. I could absolutely see that. Absolutely, I could see that. absolutely see that. That's a great prediction, uh, Aaron. Um, Twenty eighteen will be another very successful election for the Republican Party at a national level. However, they will uh, suffer great defeats in twenty twenty. I believe the twenty twenty Democratic presidential nominee will be somebody who's never held elected office before. Kanye West 2020. <laughs> it's not going to be I, Kanye West, but it'll be somebody who's never held elected office before. I was thinking Kanye about this the other day, how you said Kanye West. we all wanted the, 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 the right. We wanted our own Barack Obama. And I, and I was watching an interview uh, with uh, John Stewart. You know, people used to talk about he's the greatest newsman there is, and he had his own little comedy show. I was on show. an MSNBC panel one day, waiting, the day he was, that was his last day of the, of the Daily Show, and the, and the segment they ran before I came on the panel was a 10-minute homage to Jon yeah. Stewart. And so I'm not saying, it's, but somebody like that, who people believe, and look, none of us thought Trump was possible, so start thinking crazy, because you're absolutely right in some fashion. See, I, what I'm thinking is somebody like a Jeff Bezos. Somebody from somebody from corp, from the corp, from the progressive corporate sector um, who has built a massive empire similar to Trump, but has none of the other reality TV show baggage or anything of that nature, because I, I think they I think they have all but given up on rural America. I think that they're going to try and cement themselves as the party of the of, of, of urban America. But urban America extends beyond the cities into the suburban areas. And so I think they're going to go try and find somebody like a Jeff Bezos or somebody like that. I don't think it's going to be George Clooney or Tom Hanks or Kanye West. Or Katy Perry. Or Katy Perry. But maybe Mark Cuban. I could see it even being Mark Cuban. But somebody who has created wealth, created jobs to try and essentially overcome Trump's close ties and, and, um, and, and what he's got going in rural America with suburban voters who are still uncomfortable with his persona. But we'll see. We got a few years to figure that one out. Hour three is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number three underway here on the Steve Day Show, and then it's the weekend. Thanks for hanging in, in, hanging in with us this long. Easy for me to say. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. We'll get to some of the feedback that you have sent us a little bit later on in this hour. But first, it's time for three questions. 
have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It's that time of night when our producer, Aaron, he gets to set the agenda, at least for the next few minutes, by asking us three questions. He can ask us any three things about any three things. There is no subject off limits, but he must answer the same questions. Aaron, go ahead. Thank you, Steve. What original idea of yours are you most proud of? Um, that one's hard. I mean, there's no original ideas. There's nothing new under the say, sun. I mean, what is what? completely unique to me? You know, um, I'm very proud of the book and nefarious plot. I think it's the best thing I've ever written. But even that's not original. It's an homage to C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. So I'm not, you know, um, you know what? Uh, here's my answer. Anna, Zoe, and Noah. Yeah. That's my answer. That's where my mind went. Okay, I'll, I'll, go like with, I'll go with our three kids. Morgan and Monica. Can't beat that Jesus juke because signed me up that times four. Absolutely. Yeah, because I just think I mean anything we would have done, anything else is emblematic of something else, right? I mean, what what is what is really original? And even that is by God's grace alone that you know He allowed me to be a mom, and I'm so grateful for that. So. Exactly. So even that's not original. It's not like we're the only people with kids, right? So. Um, I hate this question a, so much. <laughs> and I forgot to think of an answer before I went on. It's a great, it's a good question. I just don't know how, how do you answer it without coming across as sanctimonious, arrogant, right? I, I, haughty. I don't know how you could answer it without doing so. Unless you, you like invented like Reese's peanut butter cups or something. And Al Gore invented the internet. Something, that, like, something that. like that. Something like that. But you didn't invent the peanut butter or the chocolate. No. You know? So are we agreed that there is no good way to answer this question? Let's let's say that there is no good way. Is that your attempt to get out of answering this question? Question number two, which elected official <laughs> would be the worst to share a foxhole or oh best? Oh say boy. that again. Which elected official would be the worst to share a foxhole with or the best? Um the worst to share a foxhole with. Um Nancy Pelosi. My mind immediately started going there. Yeah. I just figured she was such low-lying fruit. Was there somebody else? You know? You're going for less obvious awfulness, are you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we could all just, as soon as her name gets thrown out to that question, we just like, yeah, that's it. Move on. But um, I don't know that I can come up with somebody. You said elected official, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. I don't know if I can come up with somebody. Schumer? Is Schumer worse? I mean, we're about to find out. He's about to become the new face, right? He's going to be the Senate Democratic leader instead of Harry Reid. See, I'm more afraid of friendly, friendly fire, air quotes, friendly fire. I mean, those you would know don't turn your back, right? That's a but, good point. So, so who, like who? Like um, someone who wanted to kill the Tea Party, Mitch McConnell. You know, That's a good one. That, that, that's a good argument as well. Uh, I mean, in fact, I'm going with McConnell. Because for that for that reason, you're right. I mean, there's a reason why God commands us to be wary of wolves in sheep's clothing and not wolves. What do you instinctively right. know to do when you see a wolf? <laughs> Flee, right? 
But when you but when it's dressed up like this pretty little sheep and it's wearing your uniform, you're more inclined to sit there and uh, examine it a little bit longer, correct? So yep. I think, Kim, you've talked me into the McConnell thing. Uh, who would be the best? I mean, I, I would look for people. Are we talking a literal foxhole or a figurative one? Uh, that is up to you. I mean, Both, if, it, if, no. if, if we're going to go with the literal foxhole, I'm going to take John McCain, who spent five years in the Hanoi Hilton. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you, now, now, if, now, if I'm in a political foxhole, he'd be one of the last people I would pick. Okay. But if it is a literal foxhole, the dude was tortured for five years in the Hanoi Hilton. I, I, good luck topping that. Um, if we're talking a political foxhole, then I'm going to take people whose resolve I can trust the Ted Cruz's, the Mike Lee's, et cetera, along those lines. Todd? I just. Going off Kim's premise, even more than McConnell, I, for whatever reason, he's more of a known quantity to me. The one who I grew to just have a general level of whatever for to just outright hating is Boehner. Mm-hmm. Oh, do I, I hate... Uh, <laughs> he oh. makes it easy. That's a good point. He makes it easy. McConnell's at least smart enough to, to not appear on camera that often. I mean, he kind of hides out up there. Which which puts more of the spotlight on the people like Boehner that are exceedingly unlikable because a lot of times they're he, McConnell just leaves them hanging out to dry. Yeah, in between, uh, you know, putting down heaters and crying, Boehner's on camera quite a bit. Kim. Oh yeah, I I McConnell. think I answered it with yeah McConnell. Who's no, the best. But, best. Yeah. Oh, the best. Um, I'd actually have to go with um, someone who was willing to fight, someone who actually has actually fired a weapon. Um, so I, I'm going to go with Rand Paul. Okay. Where has Rand Paul fired a weapon? Um, he, you know, I'm not saying he's actually been in the military, but okay, I mean, he, did yeah. you guys take that? I took that to mean that's what she was talking about. That's why I wanted to clarify that. Okay. Uh, I would go, um, probably worse. I, I was going to go down the John Boehner, Mitch McConnell route, but since that's already, uh, that's already been taken uh, in a political foxhole. I would um, the the worst would probably be somebody like I don't know any name anybody who is fle- feckless and just kind of uh, goes whatever the way the wind. Paul blows. Ryan. We Paul did. Ryan. We already named all those people. Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Paul Ryan. See, I don't think Ryan is feckless. I just don't think he's one of us. I don't think he's feckless. He's he's a pretty, he deals with people pretty straight up. He's just not a real. He's he's you one know, of those. He's a kind of a, a Washington that. conservative, but he's not really he's a grassroots only, guy. So he will surprise you when he, he shoots you. He, he doesn't he, have like any consultants. Do you know that he goes home almost every single weekend, every time he can. He's actually a fairly well-adjusted human you know, being. He's just not a hardcore right winger. It just struck me that um, I, I, re- I remember watching the Republican convention, and when the when the votes were being cast from all the delegates. And uh, I don't know. There's some hubbub with uh, Alaska. The only time I've ever seen Paul Ryan get angry or uh, look a little bit uh, agitated was during that when there was just a hang up. And so, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that take. And then the the best, I would I'd have to say Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, somebody like that. Uh, let's move on. Uh, last question. If you could switch your athleticism with an elite athlete, which athlete would it be? Does somebody? I think you need to narrow it down. I mean, I w- it can't be like of all time. It's got to be like active, a certain sport. Uh, living today, active in their sport. Active in their sport. Um, Jabril Peppers. I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. And obviously, I watch a lot of football, but I, I've never seen the total combination of versatility, durability, because you know the the saying today is the best ability 
is availability. Okay, so um, the flexibility, he plays 11, 12, 13 different positions a game. He plays them all in an exceedingly high level. And the level of explosion that he brings to the table is visibly noticeable to the untrained eye when you're, when you're watching the game, let alone when you see it in person. So, uh, and he's also 20 years old. So you're, you're getting him as well. He's just now entering into the prime of his physical prowess. So I, I'd go with him. If he is what you say he is against Ohio State, he's going to win the Heisman. You know, for those contending teams, if somebody who's a big name captures the national spotlight the next few weeks playing in that Michigan-Ohio State game or the Big Ten Championship or something like that, then, yeah, I think it's possible they could come in and, and steal it from uh, uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson there at the very end. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Mike Trout. That's a good call, too. He's he's the All-American kid, and he's, he's, a, he's a sober Mickey Mantle uh, and baseball is my first love. Of course, now that I've grown in, uh, into, and I played when I was high school, but uh, I have a, a growing uh, affinity for the uh, leisure arm of the one world government that is soccer. So being <laughs> being Lionel Messi would be pretty darn cool, too. I don't know who that is, Kim. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know who that the is. The greatest soccer player yeah, in the world. In fact, I've never even heard the name. Kim, go Okay, ahead. Um, I'm going to go with Merit Bjorgen. She's a... Um, you know, she's a cross-country skier from Nor- Norway. She's an amazing Olympic athlete. Uh, she's, she's awesome. Uh, I would either go with uh, Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski. Probably Kelsey because he's a little bit faster, I think, than Gronk. Yeah, you and Gronk. I usually think of you two in the same sentence. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the similarities are yes. boundless. You're listening to Steve Dace. There's left, there's right, and then there's right. You've come to the right place. It's the Steve Day Show. And now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at some of the stories we missed from earlier in the show, but are worthy of commenting on nonetheless. Aaron, our producer, provides those headlines. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, first story, the Bible TV series producers Mark Burnett and Roma Downey will be teaming up with MGM to launch a new TV network that will be faith and family friendly. Light TV, as the new digital network will be called, will reportedly air on Fox affiliates in a dozen uh, major media markets including uh, places like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, Houston, San Francisco, and a lot of others as well. Well, I I certainly hope that this is successful. These folks have had the Midas touch when it comes to television, Uh, particularly Mark Burnett. Uh, He's sort of the Aaron Spelling of our era, if you get the analogy. Uh, Highly successful, maybe the most successful TV producer we have. We certainly need more of this kind of affirming content, so I hope that... It is. It, I hope it's successful, and uh, I hope the quiver grows uh, and and it spawns expansion into national coverage. And I hope other networks come along and say, "Hey, we got to get a network like that to get a piece of that pie." So, may the territory grow and be expanded. 
This is going to take a degree of courage by all those Christian writers who have had to just do what they do within secular media for a long, long time. They're going to have to stick their neck out a bit, take a risk, maybe take a pay cut to go do some fantastic work because the this the bar has to be high for this. Not just this thing could go on and do pretty well um, financially. And just kind of be so-so in terms of the product. You need to have everybody talking about it. You need to have the pagans saying, you know what? That is some good stuff over there. Right. I think there's a market for excellence and the market for truth. And I, and I um, commend them for doing this. Next story. Americans' confidence in uh, 14 key institutions is staying low. This is according to Gallup. Now, this is 14? 14 key institutions, yes. There's uh, the average... Don't don't, don't tell us yet. Here, let's do this. Can we have some fun with this? Sure. I want you to give us the institution, and then the three of us are going to guess what their public approval rating is. Can we do that? Sure. And then we'll see whether we're higher or lower. Can we do that? I'm going to pick these at random as well. Okay. Okay, We'll start with uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, 70%. What do you think? I was going to say around 65 Kim? See, this one's hard. Uh, You're talking about Gallup poll doing this. Um, Lower than that. Uh, It's 36. Wow. 36. Uh, That's substantially lower. Four point uh, lower than it was 10 years ago. Let's go with the medical system. 50%. Ooh, lower. 40. 30. It's 39. That's a point better than it was 10 years ago. I am Mr. Optimism. All right, this is interesting. Keep going. Big business. 25%. 25%. 20. Oh, I think Steve's right. About 25 to 30. It's 18. So that's pretty Whoa. close. Yeah. Uh, that's no still, change. Still, I'm too ago. high. Still, I'm too, uh, let's I'm too go, optimistic. Yeah. Let's go with uh, television news. Uh, 10. I'm going to say 10%. You're overcompensating. <laughs> uh, 30. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10. It's uh, 21. Uh, that's a difference in 10 points. Uh, low. It's 10 points lower than it was 10 years ago. Uh, let's just do a couple more here. Uh, church and organized religion. I'll say 50%. 40. 55. It's 41. That's an 11-point difference than what it was in 2006. 41%. Um, let's see. Uh, banks. 25%. 40 Fifteen. Twenty-seven. And this is a 22-point difference than wow. a year ago. Hmm. So those are some of the uh, highlights from this uh, polling uh, data from Gallup. And that is, again, 14 institutions were polled and an average confidence of 32% in 14. Did those. anybody's confidence in impr- any institution's public confidence improve, Aaron? Uh, yes. The medical system, that was uh, up one. The presidency, that was up three. So you're talking about a systemic lack of confidence in America's institutions. Yep. That's exactly right. What, what, what do all these institutions have in common? They're largely run by who? The government. Well, and who, who are they? Liberals. Progressives. progressives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. These are institutions largely run by progressives. And yet you are watching the public confidence deteriorate and erode in virtually every case. Next story, the White House officials moved on Thursday afternoon to stop the nascent uh, efforts by Democrats and immigration activists asking President Obama to pardon so-called dreamers 
releasing a statement to BuzzFeed News that the president does not have the power to do so. This president or this statement said, "The president takes the executive clemency power seriously. As a general matter, we do not comment on the likelihood of whether a specific pardon will be or may be granted." And that's actually according to the White House. I think he'd do the Republicans a favor if he did it. Just take it off the table. Yeah. And um, let everybody move on. Um, and um, I, I don't really think it matters all that much. I, I, I really don't think most Americans care. Maybe I'm wrong, Kim. What do you think? I, I just don't think most Americans care. I'm actually surprised that he didn't pardon them. I mean, this is all part of his, you know, growing the base. I, I'm, I'm very surprised by this. Me too. I, I would have thought he would have gone the other direction. Because of what you just said, a lot of people uh, don't care. And he's gotten away with it for eight years. Right. It's been his modus operandi. This actually makes me think that he's he's even more shrewd. I mean, I'm not, Barack Obama's not a dummy. Evan, but th- th- this is an added level of shrewdness where he said, you know what? Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this for the last eight years, but I know when to fold them. And this time, I, as you said, in this particular hand, I'm going to fold them. Hmm. He wants to keep his, what, 60% approval rating when he's going out. But it does surprise me because, like I said, um, this is something he wants. And then we don't have the authority. When has he ever said that? We don't have the authority. Oh, that's right. When he was running for office mm. in 2007. <laughs> mm, it's, above my, it's above my pay grade, Cam. Uh, next and final story. Oxford's word of the year for 2016 isn't really technically a word. It's, it's a compound word, and it's post-truth. Post-truth is defined by Oxford dictionaries as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. The rationale for choosing post-truth, the word selected by Oxford's editors, does not need to be coined in the past year, but it does have to capture the English-speaking public's mood and preoccupations. Well, I mean, this is mission accomplished. This is what the progress this is what the progressives have wrought. This is this is the end game of postmodernism. The destabilizing of existing foundations, moral moral certainties, absolute truths and, and then once those are destabilized, that then sets the stage for the new moral certainties, the new absolute truths to come. So this is mission accomplished. The so progressives have nothing to be crying about after all. Huh? This is their V-Day. That's exactly right. They ought to be partying in the streets. This is what they have been after all along. They have been after a post-truth America. And we're just about there. Listening to Steve Dace. When you're upsetting everyone, you know you're doing it right. You are human tennis elbow. You are a pizza burn on the roof of the world's mouth. It's Steve Dace. some feedback Friday here on the Steve Day Show powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, you can send your feedback to us via email, steve at stevedace.com D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. 
Russ Smith says, hey, you were commenting on how much Hillary's popular vote win could come from California when it's all said and done. So I've crunched some of the numbers. In California, Hillary got 6.9 million votes to Trump's 3.7, which is 290% of Hillary's national margin right now. If you take New York, you similarly get the same total. Her victory in New York, 4.1 million votes to 2.6 million votes, is 135% of her national margin. Illinois, where she got 2.97 votes to Trump's 2.11 million votes, is 78% of Hillary's national victory margin. So these three blue states... With a total of 95 electoral college votes, which is 18% of what it takes to win the presidency, contributed cumulatively, get this now, to 500% of Hillary's national popular vote margin. That's pretty amazing when you start looking at those numbers, guys. Your thoughts on those. Thank you, Russ Smith, for crunching those and sending them along, by the way. Well, I'm glad he did that. Um, Investors Business Daily also did something like that. They were saying outside of California, Clinton was a big-time popular vote loser. Um, so Trump won the popular vote in 29 states to Clinton's 20, and they're still, you know, at that time working on Michigan. And hence the lament about the electoral mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Stephen Donnelly in Pennsylvania writes, I shamelessly admit to enjoying the outrage of the microaggression, civics-challenged grievance wing of the millennial generation self-activating upon realization their neighbors may no longer be financially conscripted to pay for their free health care and tuition. Helicopter moms nationwide are en route. Parachutes have been deployed. (laughs) Well said and amen. He's still got that post-election afterglow, doesn't he? Uh, Patrick in Franklin, Wisconsin says... I was wondering if you would answer a question. As Christians, we are not to try to earn our salvation by good works, yet we are ultimately called on to live out our faith, including good works. If I do something I shouldn't, or I don't do something I should, is it wrong for me to feel guilt that says I've disappointed God? Is that a sign of a works mentality? Oh, boy. This is a a pretty deep theological question, but let's tackle it nonetheless. There's a difference between shame and conviction. Right. So the, the, the final verse in the Bible before sin enters the world is they were naked in the garden. They had no shame later in the New Testament. The writer of the book of Hebrews, when he when he talks about what Christ, what drove Christ to the cross to atone for our sins. And he and one of the and one of the things that he says was his driving motivations was he, quote, scorned the shame how did that, how do you know if you're ashamed? Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they recognized they were they were naked, what did they do next? They tried covered themselves. Yeah, they, they hid and then they then they tried to cover themselves. Right, All right. That's how we do things in shame. Shame is when you will when you will say I, I it, it will cause you to look down, and shuffle your feet, because you recognize you've been you've been caught red-handed. Conviction, I believe causes us to look up for our salvation is nigh conviction is what causes us to say i have the i can do and be better than i am because of who god sends to live in me now conviction doesn't always feel good 
I think I think the reason we confuse these terms and their motivations is because we in, our, in this in this day and age we base whether something is good for us or not on how it makes us feel at the time. You guys ever been under spiritual conviction? Hmm. It doesn't feel good, does it? No. But what does it what does it do? It drives you to act on it, though, doesn't it? Indeed. And sh- shame is debilitating. Shame is what causes you to essentially hunker into the fetal position. They're two totally different things. So I don't think, you know, absolutely we've all disappointed God. But I think if you, if you, live, if you live with your head hung low in shame, in many respects, you are turning your back on the gospel. Because right. the goal of the gospel is to free you from the shame. Preach. But conviction is something different. Conviction is when you know, I have to be better than this. I have to do better than this. Be perfect as I am perfect? Yes. And, and God has given me the means to do and be so if I were to rely on those things. So in my view, I think shame causes you to look down and shuffle your feet. Conviction causes you to get back up off the mat. You're listening to Steve Dace. Helping to define the modern-day New Age America. We're all kind of crazy town banana pants. It's Steve Dace. All right, more Feedback Friday here on... Well, it's Feedback Friday. Hence the... Never mind. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Day Show. Joe writes, your show has been such a blessing from you guys' humor, your pop culture references, your understanding of the scriptures, the wisdom. I learn a lot. I look forward to listening every time. I hope that you guys, or I look forward to listening, hopefully for a long time, praying that you guys have the courage of Daniel to withstand the times to come. Thank you, Joe. But this email from John Fox is not quite as encouraging. He says, I started listening to your show around the middle of the Republican nomination process. My first thought was you're a well-schooled talk show host, and I started to listen. But I can safely say, as of the presidential selection, that you were wrong on every prediction. You think you understand both politics and religion. I think you're a manipulator of both. You use both when it's convenient and neither very well. You surround yourself with yes-men. If they offer different opinions, you shame them. My very best advice for you is to give up radio and become a traveling preacher in this profession. No one will see through your lack of insight. Show me that at least you have a pair and read this on the air. It will help you to understand that you are neither conservative or a very good radio host. Start building yourself from that redemption point. What do you guys think of the life lessons here from John Fox? Uh, he caught us red-handed. I'm, I'm distraught, for one. I don't know how we're going to recover from this one. Todd? Feel better, buddy? Get that out of your system? I just never understood how... See, that doesn't hurt you no. at all. This is one of the finest compliments you can give I know. somebody in my I'm line like, of work. You are you smiling, suck so John, bad that I'm, I'm going to take you. the time yes. to write an email and tell you about it. I mean, you are telling... My job... Listen, my number one job is to get a response from an audience. That's my number one job, guys. And the fact that, that John took the time, that time in his life he's never going to get back ever again. He can't ever have that time back. And he chose to invest it that emotionally into our show is one of the best compliments you can give somebody in my line of work. 
That stuff, any program director or any radio company executive that knows what the hell he's doing isn't going to be turned off by 10 million of those. You know what he's going to think? This guy gets, this guy gets somebody's reaction. You know what's going to turn him off? It's when there's no reaction. That's what turns him off. It's when there's no reaction. When people are just like, you're irrelevant. I mean, they have, they have no reaction at all to what you do. You could scream fire in a crowded theater and it doesn't move anybody. So, John, I mean, I hope, I hope Phil Boyce over at Salem, I hope he's listening tonight. He's going to take that as a compliment. That you were so moved to invest this kind of time into tongue-lashing us like that. All I can say in response, John, is I hope you guys have a blessed Thanksgiving. Chris Davidson says, I have a general question about the culture. Where we are as a people, politics, the impact of the church and society. Well, that's all. All right. Well, let's. Yes. I like when you guys. How come? I, I never get the easy questions, but I guess it's my own fault. He says the left has successfully moved the needle towards uh, towards their direction everywhere in the culture for the last hundred years or so. And they've really accelerated that movement in the last several years. What are some anecdotes to answer this question? Where are we winning? Who are some people or groups that are successfully moving the needle back in the direction of a biblical worldview? I think we're definitely starting to get it when it comes to pop culture. I think now we're, we're not just making message movies. We're making good movies and movies that have huge financial success levels like God's Not Dead, for example, which had an ROI in the, in the, in the 4,000th percentile. So I think we're beginning, I think if you saw the Bible miniseries that Mark Burnett and Roma Downey put together, I, I know some people may have some issues with some of the theology expressed, but in terms of its craftsmanship, mm-hmm. A plus, A plus work. And the ratings that accompanied it, I think, bore that out. So I, I think on that front, we're starting to figure it out, that craftsmanship, art, that, art, that, that the artistry is our friend. Excellence is our friend. I think we're getting that right. I think um, and if you look at it politically, there's, there's one issue advocacy group that has followed the left's more confrontation, leverage-based advocacy than what much of the conservative movement has focused on, which is an access-based advocacy, meaning we want a seat at the table. Now, most of the liberal groups have focused on leverage. We have leverage on you. You'll vote for this Planned Parenthood funding, and we take you out in the next primary. That's what I mean by leverage. The one issue advocacy group that has practiced more of a leverage-based proposition are the Second Amendment groups have. Now, sometimes the NRA has got to be kind of dragged there a little bit by gun owners of America because they would prefer on their own to be more of an access-based operation. But because they have a viable competitor in GOA for, for members, they can't. They have to take some hard lines. And so I, I think the competition there between the NRA and GOA has actually worked out very well for Second Amendment advocates because you force them to play off of each other. And, there's, and competition is always a good thing. It's always a good thing. Not coincidentally, what was the one issue that largely went unscathed by eight years of having a Marxist in the White House? Second Amendment. No substantive assaults on the Second Amendment can you think of any? I can't think of any. Eight years under Obama. Didn't even try to, he didn't even try to go after it with a pen and a phone. Why? Because they're the one group that has modeled the left's leveraged-based advocacy. So those are a couple of examples of places where I think we have made gained ground. We're starting to figure things out. Can you guys think of anything else? That's about the only area. No. 
it's a tragedy how hard I have to think to try to come up with something else for the sake of conversation. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we've already talked about Second Amendment a lot, but in terms of uh, the the Christian effort, I mean, I, I once saw in the 1950s a, a game show, and and they, it was the game show where you had a, a description of the anonymous person who was sitting just off screen. It was very popular at the time. I don't know his name. And they described it instantly. Everybody knew on this Hollywood game show that they were talking about Archbishop Fulton Sheen. You know, the, 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 the Christian church is not ubiquitous in that sense anymore, whether the Catholic or the Protestant band, other, other than in some hateful. I mean, the, we, we, who are the, who are the um, very out there Christian leaders uh, within the church or without who have made it just impossible to hate them because of their and, and who are Orthodox at the same time? Exactly. I'm sure we'll think of some. We got a commercial break coming up, so we got a few minutes to come up with some. We'll come back and wrap things up here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. He's trying to keep us all together because, well, the liberals do it. See what you call insanity? We call solidarity. This is Steve Dace. All right, we've come to the end of tonight's show. It's the end of the week as well. Weekend about to begin. So what did we learn here tonight? Kim, what would you learn? Well, um, this goes off of something that um, Aaron was talking about. The Americans' confidence in institutions stay low. The one that dropped the most was the banks, but the second was the church and organized religion. That dropped by 11 points in 10 years, and I, that just goes to show that we have a lot of work to do in the House. Todd? We got to learn that Steve's lack of knowledge about the world's most popular sport is real, and it's spectacular. I, I've never heard the name. I like I know who Pele was, right? But I I've never heard that name. Does he play for the only team I know, Manchester United? He's a uh, Argentinian, and he uh, plays for uh, it's, I think it's Barcelona, but one of the great, um, yeah, in Spain. That's his club. That's, cool story, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my I'm take sorry. as well. Thank I'm you, sorry, Aaron. Todd. Yes. Um, I, you know, we have a choice um, when it comes to, to following po- politics, and I know there are a lot of activists, and obviously you're interested in in culture and politics if you're listening to this show, but, but we always have a choice whether or not uh, we're going to be so invested and so uh, caught up in something. We, we have a choice whether we're going to let that take our joy away from us. And joy is not happiness. Um, joy is uh, something that is, that is given to us by knowledge of who we are and whose we are and living in that knowledge and living according to that. Hmm. And I, I see a lot of people um, who, despite the fact that we are not going to have to put up with Hillary Clinton for four years, who seem just so distraught. And it's okay to be pessimistic. It's absolutely okay to have a healthy pessimism. But don't let that uh, pessimism turn into um, letting your joy be taken away. And if that happens, it's, it's time to take a step back 
again from from following this type of stuff the sun's going to come up in the morning and uh, the lord will still be on his throne still four years is a long time guys four years is a long time if you were a if you were in a, a, a trump election skeptic like i was that's plenty of time to be proven right or maybe hopefully to be proven wrong I think we've had the election was bitter enough. Just let it go. Let things play themselves out. Just let it go. You know, if 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 he surprises you, and so far I am pleasantly surprised, cautiously optimistic, as I said last hour. Then, wouldn't that be great? I I can tell you the last thing I'm ready for is another caucus, another primary. People slicing each other and dicing each other. I, I'm relieved. I hope this works. I, I need a few years off from all of this. I don't know about the rest of you. In fact, at the very least, I need a couple days off. And I'm going to take him. It's called The weekend. You do the same. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 